Okay, well, thank you so much for coming and, and joining us in, joining in with us this morning. And my name's Susie, and this is Adam, and we're from, this is Adam, we're from Cornerstone City Church in Medway in Kent. And um, just a very quick introduction for those of you that don't know us. We've been there about 20 years, and um, Adam's been sort of the, uh, well, our senior elder, I never know what to call him really, senior elder, elder something there, um, for 15 years approximately, and we've, yeah, we've been there a little bit longer than that, um, and so we're going to share some of our experiences in, in prayer and fasting and what God's been teaching us over the last 20 or so years there. Um, we've also been recently involved with the Enough um, Prayer Initiative that Mike's been talking about, and I'm sure many of you have been involved within your different locations and more recently as well, been looking at getting um, a group of people that are feeling called to pray specifically for something called like the, I always get it wrong, prayer air fire? No, prayer air warfare. So air covers. <laughs> and really where um, Mike's been just looking at how are we praying the air cover in the image of a battle? How are we covering the battles that are going on ground? How are we covering that in prayer? So... We'll refer to that later. Some of you here, I think, this morning have already signed up for that, but we're really looking to recruit people that are feeling called to pray on behalf of RM. So that's another thing we've been involved in. So just going to start by praying. And um, One of the, a quote that's been really rested on us um, recently is the quote that says that faith is not working ourselves up, but it's settling ourselves down. Um, settling ourselves, if you like, into what God's already doing. And so we're really excited as we're here talking about prayer and fasting. We're not going to be working ourselves up into a frenzy of seeking God. Actually, we're settling ourselves into what God's already doing across our nation and, in fact, across the nations of where he's already calling people to pray and fast. So let's just pray. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity just to be here this morning, God. We feel so privileged to be meeting with other believers from across the nations, Lord Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and, and use our words. We pray, Lord, thank you for the way that you weave together. And you can just, one word from you, God, can set us in the right direction, Lord, and fill our hearts with faith. And so we ask that this morning, God, that you would and be speaking, Holy Spirit, be speaking deep into our hearts and, and encouraging us, inspiring us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Then a roll of video, which um, really just gives in, in a visual form what, what, we're, what we're, I suppose, reaching for in some ways, maybe in a different way than what you're going to see on the video, but ultimately this is about seeing transformation of our of our communities and our town. So it's just a, a couple of minutes long. We'll roll this. and called his nation for three days of fasting and prayer. 
Pastor Renee Joseph along with other national spiritual leaders and we had about five days to organize this event. And as the day began to break, there were more people than the eyes could even see. They were standing with their hands extended to heaven as Pastor Renee Joseph stepped to the microphone and gave the opening call. There were desperate Haitians crying out to God Almighty to forgive them and heal their country. There must have been one million or more filling that main square in the downtown area. Some had climbed trees, some were sitting on rooftops, some were sitting on tops of automobiles. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day for those three days, they came. Scriptures were read, prayers were prayed, songs of worship were offered up, declarations of repentance were made. The Prime Minister even arrived early the first morning. Oh, he, he did not speak. He simply stood there weeping for over an hour. He left only to return a few hours later, and he had President Preval with him, who then addressed the crowd. And the pastors laid their hands upon him and prayed the blessing of God over him as he stood there calling upon God to heal his country. You see, here was a nation who had been brought to her knees, and God was pleased. There were some 3,000 confirmed conversions during those three days. Of that number, 101 were confirmed to have been voodoo priests. You see, heaven opened over Haiti on February 12, 2010, and the Holy Spirit began to rain down. And I can tell you this, it is still raining. Amazing images there, and um, those of you that are, are familiar with what went on in, in our nation in, in the Second World War will know that that kind of thing has gone on in the UK as well as many other places as well. And um, and so, re really, we're here to hopefully stir your hearts about the importance of, of praying together in, in New Frontiers. If you've been around for a while, you, you would have been pretty well taught on prayer. We know, we know prayer is important. Praise God, we've had it modelled to us by loads of great leaders. Terry Verbo, of course, is a great man of prayer. But we're, this morning, we're, we're zoning in on the importance of praying together with other people and fasting together. So this really is about, I suppose, trying to just awaken us to that, that call to prayer um, that we feel we have at the moment as a, as a movement of churches, but not just within our network. There's many, many other churches and streams of churches that are, I guess, pushing up the, the call to pray. And some of you will be familiar with different church movements across Europe as well. So it, it feels like there's something about that, that God is putting this on the agenda. A little quote here from Pete Gregg who's uh, most well known for the 24-7 prayer movement. He, he said this, he said, if the church had paid the same attention to revolutionising corporate prayer with the same effort that has been given to revolutionising corporate worship, how much ground would we have taken now? Mike, Mike Betts, in, in his book, Relational Mission book, 
um, says that in response to wrestling with the questions, what is God saying to us and what are we going to do about it? I felt strongly that God was saying to me, to cut a long story short, I want you to pray corporately. And so a lot has come out of that, most notably things like it, the Enough Prayer, which probably most have heard of or been to, just that gathering together to pray at the same time, in the same place, about the same kinds of things. And so we, we, um, we, we don't pretend to be experts on prayer and fasting, but we, we have prayed, we have fasted, we have tried to push into this in the last uh, sort of five or six years for different, different reasons and just pressing our, our church, calling our church as well into that. And so it's something we feel not necessarily kind of um, gifted at, but something that we feel called to be involved with in helping to push forward. And so it's, it's been great just to talk um, over the last couple of days, actually. So you're getting a repeat. So this is going to be like real fine-tuned today because yesterday we missed out two points and all sorts of things. Yeah. But to, you're like, we're mad. It's going to be... So, so yeah, raise the expectation levels up. Um, so we want to just kick off by talking about why it's important to pray together because we know that and this is the whole thing we, we know that it's important to gather together to pray you don't have to look far in the bible for that but actually doing it there's all sorts of things that restrict that and limit that and so we want to want to maybe break down some of those mindsets freshly stir you and if you're in um, leadership teams particularly hopefully that you'll be able to go away and that this this will result in strategic change within your churches, this is what we're aiming at, or, or to go back and talk to your leaders, to sort of raise it, um, it raise the bar of it. There's been a lot of talk in, in the last sort of 10, 20 years about um, what's known as the missional church. If you come across that, all these buzzwords you hear in churches. So missional church theology is all about how we should be arranging and structuring our churches around the mission of God. And so that becomes the organising principle or paradigm. And you can read books on that, and it's fantastic. You know, and we've gotten hold of that sort of stuff in our church in the last few years. And, it, and it's like it, it forces you to make strategic changes because you think, hmm, maybe we've been building around a Sunday, or maybe we've been building around community. Maybe we've lost the edge. You know, these things challenge you. And so what this is about is to, to maybe help us to think about what would it look like to structure our churches around prayer? What would it look like you know, if we were to put that energy and effort into the way we organise? Just to, to note, we're not saying that that mission and evangelism and all those things are not important. We're, we're, we're trying to put it in a provocative way to get us to think about the investment we need to make into it. The other important thing to note is that that prayer is ultimately missional. Prayer is about mission, because why are we praying? We're praying because we want to grow as disciples, and we're praying because we want to see our towns, our communities, our, our cities and villages transformed. So that is where our prayer leads to. So it, it goes hand in hand, you know, with being missional, because being missional is all about discerning what God is doing, and then we're getting in line with that. It's not just about us, you know, pumping up lots of activity. It's about saying, Holy Spirit, where are you moving? What are you saying? We want to pray into that, and then we act off of the back of that. So why is it important to pray together? Here's just a few probably reminders for many of you. 90% of prayer in the New Testament, if you look, is, is in the context of, of corporate prayer. 
So a lot of the examples you find it's the early church gathering together, it's the people, uh, even in the Old Testament of Israel, gathering together. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. What did he say? Our Father. It wasn't singular individualism. Our Father, um, give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. So there's this mentality that it's us together praying. Um, prayer and fasting is obedience. We do it because in Scripture we're, we're told that an expression of love is to obey Jesus. That came out superbly, didn't it, yesterday in the sessions, that it's about obeying Jesus, obeying what the Spirit says to do. And we're told that numbers of places. So John 14... 21 says, if you obey my commands, you love me. Whoever has my commands and obeys me, that's where love is shown. So Jesus taught us to pray, told us to pray, expected us to pray and to fast. When you do these things, so it's obedience, it's loving to God, and it's a way in which we express that. And so there's a few sort of scriptures, but but ultimately we're doing it because it in that love that we're demonstrating to God, there's a, there's a humility in that. When we gather together, we respond to that call to pray and fast together, we are humbling ourselves before God. It's like we're kneeling down in our hearts and the dependence upon God is expressed because we're, we're positioning ourselves in a, in a place of weakness, particularly in, in fasting, which we're talking about today. You know, if you're fasting from food, um, for more than, you know, a meal, you know, you really begin to discover that you're weak. And so prayer is, is, a, is a deeply humbling thing to do. Uh, fasting is, a, is a, a painful thing to do, but it's a way in which we express that humility and that dependence upon God because we don't have the power, you know, and the way in which we organise our churches, um, and, you know, we're guilty of that, we, we, we slip into perhaps organising it and working as if we do. Hence the programmes and all the ways in which we strategize and structure. And, and yet we're told in Scripture that that prayer is to be the ultimate responsibility. So we know early chapters of Acts, Acts 6, that, that the apostles gave themselves to prayer and the word. Once the busyness started to ramp up, they started to deal with the pastoral issues and how they deal with sorting out those that were poor in their community. All these things are, are vital, vital, vital. But it, there's something about the primacy of prayer and the church gathering together in prayer, the leaders gathering together in prayer. And God, we know, is drawn towards the humble and the contrite. That comes right through Old Testament into New Testament, books like the book of James. God gives grace to the, the humble. He opposes the, 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 the proud. And so... Prayer is an expression of deep, deep humility. It really is. Gathering together with others is a way in which we express that dependency. And just to sort of stir our hearts on, on what it is we're, we're really hoping for ultimately, it's, it is transformation of lives, transformation of our, of our communities. Some of you would have read about different moves of God, revivals. You know, some of you are familiar with that. One of the books I've been reading recently is, is a book all about the Hebridean revival. And there's been numbers of moves of God in, in these little islands that are sort of right up, right up in north of Scotland over the years. More than one, but the, a famous one kicked off in 1949. And you read about 
what God did then, and, and we're not looking for repeat. You know, whatever God wants to do, however He does it, is fine. You know, so we're not saying do it like you did it there. It, a move of God might take many different shapes and forms, but the outcome is always the same. It's that that hearts are, are just awakened to God, the conviction of sin, awareness of the presence of God, and lives start to change. Families start to change. Things get rebuilt. So that's what we're calling on God for. But you read some of these stories. This this particular book is called Sounds from Heaven. It's got eyewitness accounts. It's people that were saved there. It's uh, people who were involved in leading there, uh, who, where transcripts have been recording. And you read and you think, my, well, it's hard to imagine entire villages saved. Not one person left. Every man, woman and child had, had come through to Jesus. And when they returned back, because it went on for three or four years, they say, those, no one has backslidden because they came through so, so powerfully. Their particular church culture at the time was like hyper-conservative, like Calvinistic, reformed. Um, they did not have gospel appeals. They did not lead people to Christ. You know, this, this was their theology. Why? Because they believed you don't emotionally manipulate people, you, you, you leave God to save people. You know, he'll save his chosen ones. Their whole structures were not like ours. You know, you look and you think, God doesn't seem to be uh, uh, beholden to getting it all right. You know, that you have to have a certain theology and a certain way of doing things. You read that, you're like, we don't do church like that, don't have exactly the same doctrine as you, that's not how we do appeals. And like the presence of God, people are coming through so strongly that there's accounts of them having to leave people all night, you know, writhing in pain, and then finally they break through and they come to know of the love of God, you know, because they've heard the preaching clearly. The presence of God is on them, they're filled with the Spirit, people found in roadsides, in fields, in peat bogs, Shops shut sometimes because the presence of God. Businesses closed down. People fainting and swooning, it talks about, at their loom as they're doing their sort of tweed blankets. Strong men fainting. You know, like we're talking powerful, powerful, but it says that the, the communities were changed. The interest went so off music and concerts. No one was turning up for these things anymore. But you, you read what was going on behind the scenes and it was prayer. Often, um, it, particularly with the Hebridean revivals, there's the story of the two elderly ladies that were praying who were like late 80s, early 90s. That's true, they were. You can read about that. But what, what's often missed is that everyone was praying. It wasn't just them in a vacuum. There'd been prayer going on for years. They'd had revivals going back another hundred years. Numbers of visitations from God because they were praying, praying, praying communities. I'll just read you a little bit here. Uh, this is one of the islands called Barvas. Barvas has no organ, no guitars, no orchestra, no choir, no hymnal even. We could add that there are no organisations, no coffee mornings, no programmes like many American churches have. Don't know what they've got against the Americans. Um, for their young people, no boys' organisations, no girls' organisations, no church staff, no seminars, no highly prized programmes. Apart from the Sunday service, it has the weekly prayer meeting and other spontaneous prayer meetings which occur here and there. That's all. Perhaps we should learn some basic spiritual principles. In churches with different needs in modern city life, various organisations will, of course, be needed. But the emphasis in Lewis is so obviously that of prayer and activity and objective that supersedes all else. All that which we deem to be so very necessary for success 
in God's eyes, may not be so necessary after all. So why have these places been so favoured? Why has the Lord been pleased to shower his blessings and reveal his presence in these remote parts? Why? Because they prayed. They prayed expectantly. They prayed persistently. They prayed wholeheartedly. They prayed believingly. They learned to pray as they prayed. And the Holy Spirit has taught them in their praying. They've come to learn the secret of pressing through into the courtroom of heaven and touching the throne. They've waited upon God. And as Margaret MacLeod, one of the, the people that was saved there, so strikingly said of the Christians in the Barbus area, it was a community at prayer. And so these were like, man, and, and you read it, and their, their, cult, their prayer culture was such that if you were part of the church, you would all go to the, the prayer meeting. That was, the, that was the culture, you know, of that, that traditional, reformed, conservative church. Literally everyone. If you didn't go, it, that was culturally frowned upon. Um, and I don't know what it's like in your church, but that's not what it's like in, in our church at all. The culture that we, we had, even though we would say, yeah, we're a missional church and we don't build around Sundays, Sundays are still a big, big deal for us. And they're important, they're great, and we can maximise that, I suppose, that cultural value that Sundays still have. But, but then prayer gets, it still feels like, for us, it's still a tag-on. Uh, you know, in our own lives, personal, yeah, we know we pray. But gathering everyone to pray, that call to pray and fast together, you think, if we want to see God moving through our evangelistic efforts and going out on the street and all the stuff we're doing, the programs which are great and God will move through them, come on, we've got to pray. Somehow we've got to like knock this issue out together to work over the next five, ten years sometimes to change a culture, to, to maybe shift our culture into what some movements and church denominations have as that. You know, where we're in a place where we're, we're gathering together to pray. And so, let's do it. Let's make room for God. And along the way, you find that it satisfies your own hunger. So it isn't just about humbling yourself and pray for our communities. As, as there's answers to prayer, as we start to touch the, the throne room of heaven, as that quote said, it's like your own itch is scratched at the same time. Because for me, for us, it's like we're... We're hungry and thirsty for, for God, ourselves, in a selfish way. It's like, I, I, I want more. You know, there's like, it's never ending. And you, you can only drift for so long, can't you, before you feel that, that like, oh God, I just, I don't know what I want from you, but I just want to know you more. Like Paul said, I just want to, like, that feeling like Paul must have had. I, I, I sort of want to die now, because I just want to, go there, but yet I don't really want to die because I don't like the thought of dying, but I just like, please, you know, come, do something, do anything, come for me. And yet it feels like what God's been saying to us as a, as a church and as a network and to many others is that you'll find many of the answers in, in prayer and fasting together as you begin to focus your attention on praying beyond yourself. You'll become like a a channel, you know, you, you, you will be caught up into that. So it's about, I suppose, pushing out away from the introverted prayers, the individualistic kind of self-focused prayers, and outward into our community. And this is spiritual warfare. And so this is a major point I want to bring in. Susie's going to come up and bring some practicalities. Wave at me if the time's 
going out and we're doing all right. Doing all right at the moment. So spiritual warfare, we like cross loads out, like we'll leave that, leave that, otherwise we'll run out of time. Like yesterday, we know that that spiritual warfare, we li- we live in it. So Ephesians six talks about the armor and about uh, our battles not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, not against people. So prayer, it mentions there, as you pray in the spirit with different kinds of prayer, we know that. That's the way in which we engage in the Christian life, which is is a battle. I think Terry Virgo quoted, um, Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle. You know, we're never on holiday in that sense. So we know prayer is, is vital, vital, vital. And there's a load we could say on spiritual warfare, but going to be super disciplined because of time and not, not go there. But perhaps in questions or afterwards we can talk about that. Um, but there's more going on behind the scenes than we think. That's the, the main point. And we've, we've had that highlighted to us through things we've read, uh, even through a sequence of dreams that I had a couple of years ago where there was, there's stuff going on in the church and it felt like the dreams basically were saying the same thing. What you're asking for will only be dealt with through prayer and fasting because there's demons behind some of these things. Some of the sicknesses, not all. Some of the situations that are going, not all. You know, so we're not looking for demons and everything. But there's just more going on behind the scenes. And you won't deal with that by just working harder, talking more, pushing people out. Learn to pray and fast together. Learn to pray and fast together. That's what came. But one key area that I want to sort of hover on for getting this easier, which is... Um, a stronghold that that prayer together and fasting together will break is is a a stronghold of individualism, which is is rife in our hearts, our communities, our nation. It's really what I suppose our Western society is founded on in many ways, because we want to build communities. We want to build communalism, and so when you show up to a prayer meeting, you are breaking an individualistic mindset um, in a number of ways. But the, 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 the scripture talks about us being uh, a body, didn't it, in 1 Corinthians 10. Most of the imagery is, yeah, God loves the individual and he stops for the one, like that story Mike Pilavachi heard, but it's like the one within a community. Both are true at the same time, but we, we love the one. We love our own devotional times and what God's leading us into, my calling, and so on. Whereas scripture's really heavy on body, you're the sheep and the flock together, you're the household of God, the family of God, you're children of God. It's like we're brought into something. God is coming back, Jesus is returning, revelation for a holy nation, holy people, every tribe and tongue together. So that there's something about the imagery of being together, that when we're together, um, we express something we don't when we're on our own. And perhaps no place more than when we gather together in prayer. So Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. That's what he said. It it wasn't just we'll be doing evangelism. It was the house is a house of prayer. And the one thing we'll be doing in eternity, when many of the other things have stopped, is we will be still communicating with God, if we might call that prayer in the broadest sense of it. We'll still be worshipping We'll still be interacting with God. And so that's the, that's the most intimate place that we can arrive at. 
that the house is a house of prayer. Therefore, build it around that. Do all the other stuff. But if you're building and structuring around that, you, we're putting a huge, huge foundation block in place. In um, uh, the book by Andy McCulloch, which uh, Mike Betts quoted from on the first night, called Global Humility, it's a book about mission, um, but he, he's part of the Wider New Frontiers family. Great book, short chapters, but in there... He talks about their experiences of living in the, the Middle East, church planting, and uh, an example of his, his wife, who was a great teacher, was working in a, uh, a school there, gets called into the um, headmistress's office, and, and basically told, would she mind toning down her activities and her craft and some of the things she was doing, teaching methods, because she's making the other teachers look bad, because she was so good. She came home, to, when Andy heard about it, he said, I was livid. Because, because what? It, it, to us, that sounds, that's a, a, offensive, you know, to have that kind of root. But he said, it began to show me that in many cultures, which would be similar to the New Testament culture, the value of the community and the collective mindset is of more value than the individual mindset. So de-individualizing our faith helps us understand where many of the commands about prayer come from. The highest goal is the well-being of the group. Therefore, you limit yourself in order to promote everyone else. That's a good and a loving and an honourable thing to do in many cultures today. That's why household conversions and groups coming to Christ, you read about that more in the New Testament and, and in other kinds of cultures in our world, Middle Eastern cultures and so on, the hot climates, as it were, but in the West, our individualistic culture makes it harder to go with the group because we see conformity as a vice. We prefer better to express yourself and be all that you can be in Jesus. It's, it's all fine. So we're not saying that's, you know, poo-poo. We're saying that, that the, the negative aspect of our culture is that it that feeds right into prayer. So what this means when it comes to our church prayer meetings, is that we have our own preferences of styles of prayer. You know, when you pray with others, well, they pray quiet, they pray noisy. It's boring. I don't like it when I go, therefore I won't go. We have our own preferences about the timings. Well, I can't come at that time because I'm not back from work. I'm not coming at that time because I'm too tired. I'll come if you do it on that night, but not that night. That's the way our, our society is structured. It's too far to drive for me. It's a bit of a hassle, don't want to be out late. Um, preferences of who we pray with. You know, I prefer to pray with people I know and get on well. You know, we're on the same vibe and when we get together, there's a real spirit thing going on. You know, I pray with those people, it's just like, mm, I don't feel nothing. Therefore, I, I, I won't do it. What we pray about, some things are more boring. Mm, I don't want to pray about that. I've got my own issues that I've got to pray through. So this mindset is woven all the way through. But what we have to be aware of, behind the scenes, the spiritual warfare, there's perhaps a possibility that Satan is able to leverage that somehow without... It's like we've done 50% of his work for, for him already. Leverages that to basically limit the church from praying together. Our structures don't really change. So what we're calling the church to do, and as a family of churches, is to say, look, let's, let's see if we can shift this. Let's see if we can work at this. It's going to take hard work and commitment. It's going to take a, a complete mind shift. But 
This is spiritual warfare because if Satan can stop the church gathering together, praying and fasting on its knees together, that's a lot of the battle won. Because as we can break through that, there's going to be change. Susie, come and bring some of the practicalities. Okay, so we thought it might be helpful. Just What happened with our own lives is that God began to call us um, just to put more time aside to pray as, as a couple and um, but also as a church. So I thought it might be helpful for you just to hear what that felt like practically. Um, he did that through various conversations and prophetically, if you're thinking, well, how did God call you to do that? That's how. But also just felt as we were looking, as we were digging in and pressing in, there were times when we felt um, maybe we should move on, maybe we've come to the end of ourselves in Medway, maybe we can't do anything else. And there was a, a specific time of seeking God. We were saying, we're so hungry for more and we're not seeing it, God. Maybe you just want us to go somewhere else. And it was like where we looked at doing that, he said, no, I want you to learn to dig deep. And so prayer and fasting kind of came out of that, which we'll refer to. But what that looked like is, so as Adam said, um, it was a bit of a challenge because I always thought I quite liked praying. But what I realized was I liked praying on my own. Like Adam said, it was an individual thing. It was where I felt, you know, good, this is good with me and God. Suddenly, God said, so God, uh, we felt like the right thing for us to do was we set Friday mornings aside for us to pray together. And suddenly that was a bit of a challenge because like Adam said, he prayed differently for me. Although we're married, we're very, very different. And to be honest, a lot of the time, quite frankly, we'd end up having these really stupid arguments before we'd end up praying. And that would, and that would just drive me crazy. And I'd be going, oh God, I want to pray, pray, pray. And we just, we'd have to end up sorting a lot of our own stuff out first. So that was a really practical, honest thing. So it felt awkward. It felt, um, I didn't really like the way Adam prayed. I didn't want to pray about the things he was praying about and just all this stuff. And so you think, well, if that's what it was like just for the two of us, heaven knows what it's like when we try to get to pray together with the whole church. So it's just a little example of how it's really like Adam's been saying, just laying ourselves aside. Um, distractions come in quite honestly sometimes. You know, even now we think, I don't want to go to the prayer meeting. Is that terrible to admit? But we don't want to go. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why is another big mindset thing for me was, um, like I said, God asked us to set Friday morning aside. And up until that time, I'd been helping out with the mother and toddler group and suddenly felt like God saying, I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to, to pray. Because I'm, like a lot of us, sort of a, a, a listy person, like to tick off what I've done that day, a doy person. So to think I'm just sitting in a room for a couple of hours, effectively, I know that's not what we're doing, but that's what it feels like in our culture. And to say that to people, I can't come and help anymore because I'm praying. I'm not saying like we should, that's not an excuse that we shouldn't be serving. Like we could use that all over the place, couldn't we? I'm sorry, I'm not going to serve, I'm praying. But what it felt like, actually, God was saying, no, for you at this season of time, I want you to pray. I want you to put aside things that are otherwise good um, because I want you to learn that actually for this season, prayer is the work. And what we had to learn was that we weren't praying for the work, but prayer is the work. To dig deep into what God's doing, prayer was the work. And so it was a case of us learning it. And then actually what we've been trying to do is kind of, I suppose, keep communicating it in our church, that prayer is the work. We're not, um, it's not wrong to spend time. And so I think that would be really my, my like cry out, is if God's 
leading us or if God's speaking to us to pray. And in fact, if there was any regrets in my Christian life, I think he's been calling me to do that a lot more over the last 20 years and I've not always had the courage to do it. So if there's any aspect where, and I really, we really admire Mike, I think, like he mentioned yesterday, he takes the whole of January off, doesn't he, to seek God, to put time in his diary. I know he's been doing that a lot more and more, but actually putting time in our diary and having the courage to say, no, I'm praying then. And it just feels weird sometimes, doesn't it, to be honest, especially if you're explaining it to your neighbours. What are you up to today? I'm just praying for a couple, you know, what you bump into them. So it's just having that mindset very topsy-turvy and then when you get onto fasting that's even more topsy-turvy in our mindset because that's when you're really weakening yourself and having to turn stuff down because you can't do it because you're fasting or whatever you think that just doesn't sound right in our culture so it's getting used to a whole new a whole new way and then the last one other challenge that I really um had to kind of battle was the whole thing of um which I think is probably common for a lot of us, and also helping people in the church as we're helping people to pray, is the whole thing of disappointment. The whole thing of, well, um, you know, so you pick up, well, I don't really go to prayer meetings anymore. I find it really hard to pray. People will say, because God's not answered my prayers. And that's a really big, honest battle, isn't it? And I felt I was feeling that for myself, getting to that hard place of, well, I've prayed this, I've prayed this, I'm not seeing it, I'm not seeing it. And so really for me, one of the big things was learning that prayer is not a vending machine. It's not where we go and we put our money in the slot and we get our answer out. And that was huge. And what I actually felt like the image that God's given me is that so often we come to God with our requests. And it's a bit like putting 50p in and thinking, I want a Kit Kat. You know what I mean? That's the whole vending machine. And what God's saying is, I've got far more for you than a Kit Kat or a sandwich from a vending machine. It's like God saying, I've got a banquet for you. I've got a banquet that I want you to feast on, and you're getting disappointed because you're not getting that Kit Kat. But I've got this banquet, but actually the banquet takes quite a lot of time to prepare. And so that sort of prayer, it takes time. It's messy. It's much cleaner and easier just to get our slot prayer request. But God, but the banquet is where we build relationship. And the image of just being able to sit I think like another image is the father's table that um, that we sit around like, and you know what it's like in every home, you sit around the table with the father. So when I think of our church coming to pray, I think of like we're all around the dining room table with the father at the head and we're all bringing our requests, it's all messy, we're all having to listen to each other and what's going on and then at one point we all stop and we listen to the father because he's got stuff to say. And that takes longer and it's messier and it's more time-consuming than just going with a, a thing, with, a, with our little request. But it's so much more rich and actually it's giving space to God. And I just want to read a quote for you um, along that line of just actually learning to be still and, and to listen. It's from, I really recommend this book called Mountain Rain, a biography of James Fraser. Um, really good but he really really battled with prayer and it's so easy to read these stories about these people and think oh wow they just went and did this stuff but the battles that he went through actually mentally as well he talks about how he had to battle in his mind as much as physically with stuff but I'll just read you this quote he says um, this is him speaking I read a testimony of Dr Stuart Holden's not long ago in which he said that one of the greatest blessings of his life had been his unanswered prayers. And I can say the same in my measure. Unanswered prayers have taught me to seek the Lord's will instead of my own. I suppose we have most of us had such experiences, 
We have prayed and prayed and prayed and no answer has come. The heavens above us have been as brass. Yea, blessed brass. If it has taught us to sink a little more of this ever-present self of ours into the cross of Christ. Sometimes our petition has been such a good one to all appearances, but that does not ensure it being of God. Many good desires proceed from our uncrucified selves. Scripture and experience certainly agree that those who live nearest to God are the most likely to know his will. We are called to be filled with the knowledge of his will. We need to know more of this fellowship of Christ's death. So I think that was just that whole thing of actually us being able to come to terms, but also because really this morning, like Adam said, is we're just looking at how do we lead our churches? How do we lead the groups we're responsible for into prayer and helping people, helping us overcome disappointment and just being able to seek to seek the Father in that is, is such an important, powerful and part. And so that leads on really to the whole thing of fasting, um, which is where really God led us to. So we, as Adam said, we've been in, or I said, we've been in Medway for a while. We were just desperate seeking into God. What, what do you want for us? Well, how do we dig deep wells? And we felt God really, through Adam had a sabbatical. And as we were looking, we, we um, felt really God, I'm just checking my notes, I'm actually talking about the right sort of thing. Yeah. We felt as we were seeking God that he kept bringing us back to the same thing. We kept reading stories about people, about situations, about places. And the common denominator, which maybe we tried to run away from because we like our food, was prayer and fasting. It felt like God kept saying all these stories of where, you know, we were saying, oh God, where are we going to see, you know, read this in the New Testament. We want to see this in Medway. We've seen like a measure of God's goodness. But like all of you, I'm sure we're hungry for so much more. And the people that we kept reading about the stories and the places where it was happened, the common denominator seemed to be that they'd given themselves to prayer and fasting. Um, And it felt like God was saying, don't grow weary, don't give up, don't settle for second best, don't run away, don't try and like just go and start something somewhere else. Keep pressing in. Um, And I think that particularly is what what we felt was, so we both had experiences of like fasting, even extended fasting for times, water fasting, but it felt like it was still sort of for the exception, if that makes sense. It was like, Sometimes you get the feeling like fasting's for the very spiritual people in our church, like the exception. Or if you've gone through a really difficult time, or if you're pressing in for something, I'll fast. And it felt like actually God was saying, I want to make this like more normal. I want this to be like your training. And so I'll just read you one, one, I mean, one place that we've been inspired by, inspired by is South Korea. I'm sure you're all quite familiar of what God's done in South Korea. But just very quickly... Um, So the first Protestant church was planted in 1884. 100 years later, there were 30,000 churches, an average of 300 new churches a year, which is pretty good going. That's like quite for 100 years. So for 100 years, 300 churches were planted every year. And today, evangelicals comprise of about 30% of the population in South Korea. And God has used, obviously, many means to do this, and obviously there's the sovereignty of God in everything, but there is certainly no doubt that um, they have really grasped what it is to pray and to fast consistently. And it says, in the Overseas Missionary Society churches alone, more than 20,000 people have completed a 40-day fast. I thought, I'm sure that's the same over here. And so that's what we felt like, really, when we look around... (coughs) 
we we know we feel like well let me just check once again I'm not on my own. we know we're we're not we're not there yet it's that kind of regularity of seeking God and, and very important I have to say of course that fasting itself is not the answer fasting itself is not the answer um Jesus is the answer. That's what we always... Otherwise, it's, you know, like, even in, there's a... You know, when Jesus... There's a... Oh, I can't think what it is now. But there's a quote in the message where it, the way it translates is, we can't just go around getting lots of new ideas and ways of doing prayer. So it's not just, oh, this is the latest thing. Jesus is always the answer. But when we fast, we're basically making more room in our lives for Jesus. Fasting and prayer is how we lessen ourselves to make more room for him. Tim Keller says, prayer, and you could say the same for fasting, makes it safe for God to give us many of the things that we most desire. It's the way that we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. I'll say that again. Prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things that we most desire. It is the way that we know God, the way that we finally treat God as God. I think, I think that's really important. We, we must know that, that when we, when we talk about fasting, we're not trying to twist God's arm. Um, we're not trying to make him... It's already been done on the cross. It's already... So John Piper says that our fasting rests on all the finished work of the bridegroom. The yearning that we feel for revival or awakening or deliverance from... Can't be my writing is not merely longing and aching. The first fruits of what we long for have already come. We have to remind ourselves of that. We're not twisting God's arm. It's actually what we're dealing with in ourselves. When we're fasting, we're lessening us, and we're saying, "Let's treat God as God. Let's make ourselves less, so that God can be God and have more room in our life." And so, there's so much more that I could say on fasting and we just don't have time, but we just wanted to kind of touch on it. And again, we just wanted to be really practical and think, what, what would that look like? What does that look like if it becomes not just the exception in our churches? What does that look like if it becomes the norm where we're training ourselves and how does that look for our lives? And what we found was when we began to press into fasting, we found that we didn't like it. <coughs> we found that it's quite hard. We found that we started off really enthusiastically and then that our appetites got in the way. We found that it's not rational, is it? Same as prayer. If you're thinking with your rational mind to make yourself weaker by not eating, you feel like, God, what are you doing? We found it's hard. We found it scary. And it's interesting how when you talk to people, when you start to talk, people say, oh, I don't think I can do that. What's going to happen? How am I, am I going to be able to do that? It's really interesting how you think that. We found that we're the master of excuses. We can think of a million and one ways not to fast. And I'm talking to Nick and Marlene, who are actually talking to the Scent Group now, some friends from Mozambique that God's used powerfully. They've really like just kept seeking after God in fasting. But they've said things like, you know, we have to. People say, oh, I can't fast because it's someone's birthday party. And I remember them saying, you know, if God's called you to fast, He's called you to fast. You can't say, oh, sorry, it's someone's birthday party. I've got to have a bit of cake. It's like having it's trying to get that we I know we're talking to ourselves because we're still we're still growing in it. We the funniest quote we found is when we like looking up because you know like we've been researching it all and someone had 
kind of quotes that you find people say on typed on a Google search was, "Can I eat maple syrup on a Daniel fast?" And we we thought that was brilliant because we thought it's like how many ways when we kind of start looking about how many ways can we avoid it? You know, I want to do a Daniel fast, which is when you do fruit and juices and stuff. Can I eat maple syrup? You know, how many ways can we avoid it? Actually, we've got to get that mentality. If God's calling us to do something, we're going to fight through it. So what we realise is because it's hard, it's scary, it's weird, it's not rational, we've got to just talk about it. We've just got to normalise it, which is what we try to do. So we try to do it more and more in our church. We try to do it as a, as a family. We try to talk about it with our children. And interestingly, like I think one of the reasons we felt was like, I don't know, we get a bit sort of secretive about it, should we? Because Jesus said, when you fast, you shouldn't be like the Pharisees and you should go into them and do it quietly. But I read, actually, that he's talking to people when they're doing an individual fast. He's saying, don't make a big show of it and show off. But of course, when the New Church, New Testament church were fasting together, they wouldn't have all been doing it in secret. They must have known they were fasting because they were fasting together. So there's like that element of, actually, just let's talk about it, make it more normal, Let's help each other. So Adam and I, again, we've had to put it in our diaries. How, you know, I'll cook then and you can fast or make space for each other. Um, as we say, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we strategize it. But I think it's that what we really feel excited about and, and passionate about is what, what would it look like if there was one thing that we think we can go away from today is what would it look like as an God wants to raise an army. He wants to raise an army of people saying, God, I want you to have space in my life. I want to hear what the Father has to say. I want to um, just be available for you. I want my appetite to be reined in. I don't want to be driven anymore by food and by what I want. I want space for the Father to hear what he's saying. When that happens, when we can like control our appetite, when we can listen to him, when we can be, like Adam said, completely humble. This is not me. Let, let your will be done, Father, not my will. What what could he do through us? When we learn obedience, that's the other thing. Actually, fasting isn't the answer. Like Mike said last night, it's obedience. What he tells us to do when we're fasting and then what we do with it, that's what's going to kind of obviously give glory to Jesus, isn't it? But it's that learning obedience. When we learn to control our appetite, learning obedience in that, is where we, we find the Father more, where God gets to be God more in our lives. So I think you were going to talk a bit more about this. Great, thank you. Yeah, I think um, uh, it, it's the might be hearing some of Nick and Marlene's testimony, but one of the things that struck me when, when we first um, met them was Marlene had been a Christian for about a year, and had been reading the Bible and thought it was normal to do 40-day fasts um, because that's what seemed to be in there. Um, and not had not Christian background, not any teaching. So on her, on her own in Mozambique, living in what was an ex-brothel, um, that's kind of where she was because Jesus had spoken to and told her to go and, di- and, and just did that. And so we're like, that's not normal. That's not normally how people are birthed. That's how, why, you know? That that's the, the mindset, that it's just a challenge for us. And there's so much we can say on fasting. I mean, yes, we can put in brackets, you know, note if you've got medical issues, note, you know, don't get uh, feel bad if you don't, you can't do 40 days, start small. There's, we haven't got time to go through it all practically, so we're presuming that you apply wisdom into that. But I think our call is, please, can we ramp up a bit um, beyond just 
you know, I give up chocolate for a bit or I don't watch telly. It's great to do that. Then to, to live a fasted lifestyle means that you do drop things at times, and that's all fantastic. But I think we're just feeling this, you know, come on, I mean, a, a straightforward fast when you look in the Bible is generally you drop food. And, you know, and, oh, we just don't like it. It's, it's tough. But can we push into that? Can we, you know, just really go for it, plan for it? Um, looking through Old Testament, fasting through it, New Testament, fasting through it, other religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, they all fast. Look at the medical world, you can go on camps that will take you through 30, 40 day detox. They say it's good for you. you know, people think, I can't do it, I'm going to die. You won't, it's, it, it's actually helping people, people are getting healed. You look online, non-Christian you know, medical opinion, it, it brings health in. It's not going to kill you, but it's going to hurt. And often, you know, going the first few days is the worst. Um, but what God can do in that, and as we gather together, one of the things we've done for the past few years is to, is to join in with the traditional Lent period. So we have a 40-day prayer and fast every year. We call the church to that. And every year, you know, you chip away at it a bit more. People are I'm going to try it this. You know, I'm going to try. I'm going to try it a few days this time, and it's it's been really humbling. <coughs> oh yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, um, yeah. Just making sure we we cover the essentials. Um, in terms of the strategy and planning, is what Susie was reminding. It's sort of story. Uh, one of the stories we read um, about uh, an ex-Satanist called John Ramirez. Um, written a couple of books, became a Christian, but he was high up in the, the Satanist world, and he said that when he became a Christian, one of the things that he was most surprised at was how unstrategic Christians were in prayer, and how random and just kind of sort of led by the, the spirit it seemed to be, because he, he said his experience as a Satanist was that he would get instructions um, from the devil, and he would go and do stuff. There'd be action that would come out of it, and they would plan. They, they would go into areas. There would be sacrifices made. You know, it was kind of like work, like Susie said. And he said that whereas when he came into the church, it felt like there was no, there was little training, little planning, little investment. It just sort of happened. And he said that the devil has a field day. There's more ground that we can take. So the whole issue of the importance of strategy and planning when it comes to praying and fasting together as churches. <laughs> just simply requires a lot. And, and unless you've got the vision for prayer, which we've covered in the first sort of 20 minutes, half hour, you don't follow through because it takes discipline on it. If it's not like this is, this is one of the main things we do, if not the main thing, then when we get back from work, tired, you say, I'm not coming. You know, and that, that's what it's like in our church. We've not cracked it yet. Um, um, but we've begun to you know, form a strategic teams that overlap with the eldership team that are investing into how do we develop prayer, just like you'd form a pastoral team, evangelism team, you know, yeah, gospel community. Right, so the prayer team would be one of the first things we do. How do we do it? What do we do it? How do we equip others to prayer? Um, how do the, do the elders take that forward? Um, so that, that, that's the, the planning, and I think it helps us then when you've got that vision, that's sometimes what it takes. You get back and you think, oh, I've got a bit of a sniffle. I don't fancy going out to a prayer meeting for an hour. And I might only pray one prayer and say, amen, it's not worth it. You know, that's, that's the sort of level, you know, we're at in our church often. 
Um, and so we, without that discipline and that vision, you just don't push through because it's like, I've got to get there. I've got to lighten the revivals. They're walking for miles over peat bog because they've been gripped by God. And we're, okay, we're not gripped by God in that way, but we've got to be like Paul writes in, in Timothy, writes about the, the soldier, the farmer, the athlete. There's imagery around the need to be disciplined, to plan, to strategize, to work hard. Now, as you do that, it's like the, the, there's life of God. There's revelation that comes in that. And so plan, that's the, the, the big appeal. As you go from here, plan ahead, plan as leadership teams, think strategically about how you might develop it. If you were to change the culture around prayer over the next five to ten years, what would you do? How are you going to do it? And then teach on it, infuse people about it, make the church prayer meeting a big deal. Whenever it is, however you do it, creative ways of praying, yes. Praying on your own, yes. Prayer chains, yes. You know, all those things, yes. We're not saying don't do them. But it's just we're feeling like there's a prophetic call to gather lots of people together at the same time to pray and fast. That's really our, our sort of driving force in that. Um, yeah, there's some practical... You can take a picture of this. We won't go through them all. And all the resources, books that we're mentioning, there's another slide you can take a photo of. But here's some sort of practicalities of how you can work it out. Um, just sort of touching on a couple of things. Um, so... Bringing prayer into a Sunday morning. So one of the things we discussed as a, as a team was... Uh, maybe we bring the prayer meeting to the church because everyone's there on a Sunday so yeah we can teach on it because more often we teach on prayer but let's just do a bit of it on a Sunday my house shall be a house of prayer so when we get together on a Sundays um, for the past few weeks we've been having a time where we, we move in some way into prayer for our communities maybe you know we give a little example from a revival we say in the Hebrides revival the, the old ladies got hold of this verse from Isaiah 44 I think it is if Lord you will pour out your spirit on the dry land let's pray that for the Medway towns let's think about your children's school let's humble ourselves before God on a Sunday so we're just drip feeding in so it's, it's a strategy but the hope is we don't stop there but that we can you know, I suppose jump from there to like, yeah, come on, let's gather together at other times as well. Um, obviously, there's the enough prayer gatherings three times a year. Um, a good example, they usually involve driving. They sometimes involve going to another town. They involve praying in ways that you don't like. They involve praying about things that you're not that clear on. It, it, the, our individualistic button is like, it, it pushed it enough because you're like, oh, you know, I, I just, I got to be in the full on where I'm praying and shouting for two hours, therefore I won't go. But just by showing up and saying amen, that in itself is like an expression of humility and dependence on God. And if it's a prophetic call, which you know, Mike feels God spoken, in a way we're obeying and saying, don't feel like we're doing much, God. But that's the point, isn't it? We're not. We're going, we're obeying, we're praying, and God, we trust, will move. And then on the RM website, you can look at the um, Prayer Warriors team which is, as Susie mentioned earlier, for those that really feel a call to sort of commit to a bit more behind-the-scenes praying, gatherings that we're doing where there's a bit more sort of information, strategic stuff, so you can look on the RM website for a bit more info on that. Um, you could mention it, maybe just give like a, a minute summary of that. Yeah. 
just really pull it very quickly, was that one thing we, we felt we suddenly had to ask the awkward question, well, why aren't people coming to the prayer meetings rather than just pretending it's like the elephant in the room that no one talks about? So just asking people, why, aren't, why don't you come, like in a nice way, obviously not sending the heavies around. Um, and one thing that came back really was that sometimes people say they're just not sure how to pray. So they go like, someone said it last night, didn't they? Mike Pilavachi said about their shampoo position. He said, just in a room, the people with their head in their hands and it's just not very inspiring. So just the thing about actually like the disciples didn't say, should we pray? They said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And are we taking time to teach people how to pray? Um, so one quote, which I, so one thing we've looked at a little bit as well is, do we use liturgy? Like, so obviously in our churches, generally we don't, do we? We don't like use collects. But actually, so just a quote by Tim Keller, he says, many churches today, especially those with what is called contemporary worship, give congregants almost no help at all with prayer in this way. The only prayers that congregants hear are spontaneous expressions of worship leaders or the final prayer of the preacher at the end of the sermon. Time-tested and carefully considered prayers are not provided as they were in times past, which I thought was really interesting, actually, where we've got like new people coming into our church, new people that are getting saved. They don't really know how to pray. So just teaching people things like the little, is it a mnemonic act, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, teaching people to pray through the... Um, the Lord's Prayer, you know, this is how we structure our prayers, it's really helpful and teaching people to pray in tongues, again it's been mentioned doesn't it over the last couple of days um, speaking to Carol Wilfew from one of the other churches in another sphere she was like, we were just like learning stuff of her, she said I, I've been I gathered people and like, we to pray in tongues for six hours <laughs> I was like wow but, and so that was something she felt God had said she should do but teaching people to press through in praying in tongues because often we'll do it and then after about two minutes everyone blah, blah, blah. but just actually what does it mean to fight through in tongues that's, that's powerful um, and then like you said just um, teaching people about fasting just talking about it and then finally teaching people pastorally so one of the things with South Korea is that if they've got someone comes with a problem they'll say have you prayed and fasted about it for three well, I think I don't know if they say for three days but the general thing is you've got a problem go up to prayer mountain they call it go and pray and fast for three days then come back and we'll talk about it Whereas people come to me with a problem and I feel like I've got to fix it for them and I'll sit and talk to them for a couple, you know. So actually putting it back to say to people, go and fight, go and fight with Jesus on that one, go and fight yourself. So there's just some really practical ways how are we kind of teaching people to pray. So this is why it requires courage um, because it, it's an action thing, this. Um, we can all get inspired, but it's going to hurt because it means you've got to go away change your diary, change your family routines, change the structure of the leadership team. You might, not, not, not everyone might get that. You, fasting might not be that pleasant. You know, it's easy, this is easy to do nothing. But this is why it's courage. You know, it's courageously pushing forward in this. So we, we just want to pray that God will give us all courage as we press into this because we know where it will lead is what we're all wanting really. It's a it's that fresh touch from God. It's to have our own hunger satisfied as we move into the next season and, and to see the lost saved, communities transformed, and just to marvel at it like, like we did last night. God, wow, what, what have you done? This is so exciting when we marvel at it. Someone in our church last night 
um, where God spoke to them and met with them. They were speaking in tongues, and it turned out they were speaking in Russian, and they were sitting right in front of someone who speaks Russian from the Ukraine. We thought, who's that? Looked over and saw an African lady and thought, they're not Russian. And she was saying, saying, Father, please fill me. Yeah, she's she's in the room here. Father, please fill me. Father, please fill me. And you just look and think, wow, Jesus, what you do, what the Holy Spirit does where we make space when we're together and we say, God, come. So we don't want our prayer meetings to be boring, do we? But we've got to start somewhere and trust that God will come on us as we pray. And then there will be an overflow that will impact the world around us. So there's a practical list again. You can take a picture if you want. These are some of the books we've mentioned, um, helpful websites and things like that. Um, some of them are free. The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting in the Middle, the free PDF. Um, that's well worth a look at. Written um, sort of 1950s healing revivals in, in America, a lot of the Pentecostal healers. Um, whole communities of people, you know, in town after town, as these healing revivals were going on, were doing 30-day fast, 21-day fast, and like behind the scenes to back up the preaching. And they were getting healed as they fasted. People were fasting, and there's stories in there. Of, of, there's a guy who was fasting, and on something like day 20, his hair started to grow out black instead of grey, and his grey hair went. Like the bizarrest of stories, but it was just as they were praying and fasting, something of the health of God coming there. You read that and you're like, man, I've got to, I've got to sort my hairstyle out. Yeah, this is, is a good way. So be inspired by that. We'll, we'll draw to a close there. If you've got any questions, we're happy to hang about and, and chat and uh, just sort of interact a little bit more if you want to email us or chat after the day. We'd uh, love to do that. So bless you all. Go and change.